we continue and finish our series on Joseph today. Now, I will tell you that uh, we're going to go to chapter 45. That's kind of the last chapter we're going to talk about in Joseph's story. But his story continues. And so I would encourage you, if you ever have time, uh, to get into Genesis and just read through the entirety of Joseph's story. You might want to break it up. I don't know if you want to sit down and do it all at once. But uh, his story is one that oftentimes, like we said, more than just a coat. He, it gets kind of boiled down to, well, isn't Joseph the guy with the coat of many colors? And we forget about all the goodness and richness and godliness that we can take away from his story. And so I would just encourage you, if you have time at any point in your life, to read through the story of Joseph. Uh, last week, when we ended our story, <clears throat> we ended our story with Joseph and his brothers in the midst of what we called a battle, right? One of those times in life where they're just kind of struggling to make it through. And we all know what it's like to, to go through trials and tribulation and, and deal with uh, the not great side of life. And that's where Joseph and his brothers were. They had already been to Egypt once to get food for their family. It didn't go well. They were put to test by Joseph. It didn't sit well with Jacob, their father, uh, because what happened was Simeon got taken prisoner. And the only way to get Simeon back was to bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, to Egypt. And Jacob already lost his youngest favorite son once. He didn't want to go through that again. So he was not uh, very eager to let them go back. But a time came when they ran out of food. And Jacob wants to send his sons back to Egypt. And they were told not to come back unless... They brought their youngest brother, and Jacob, although very hesitant, finally relents. Again, this is all just kind of a reminder of what we covered. So all the brothers, minus Simeon, like I said, who is imprisoned in Egypt, make their trek back to Egypt. And again, they find themselves in the presence of Joseph. They dine with him. He gets to meet their youngest brother. He sends them on their way with bags of grain back home, all the brothers, we pick up the story in Genesis 44, and we'll carry it through, like I said, briefly into 45. But in Genesis 44, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver into the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing that you have done. What we have here, what we're about to experience, really is Joseph's magnum opus. His magnum opus, his masterpiece. You see, Joseph is kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes like a master puppeteer to figure out if his brothers have learned anything throughout their life about their previous actions. And so we see Joseph really molding this situation into a situation that's going to test his brothers, their allegiance to one another, their allegiance to their family. He has built their battle so to speak. So now we're going to talk about why. Because face value, it doesn't seem like a very good thing to do. It doesn't seem like Joseph is being very lovingly. It doesn't seem like he's being God, godly. He's not being God. <laughs> it doesn't seem like Joseph is being godly. Face value doesn't seem like good things are happening. 
So Joseph, guys, as you know, is the chosen descendant from Abraham's line. We talked about this back in week one, how the promise to Abraham that his descendants would number the stars was going to be fulfilled through Joseph. And this test, the test that he was putting his brothers to, was happening in order to see if they would be able to participate in that blessing. And if they passed this test, then they would get to be a part of it. And if they didn't, then it would just be Joseph flying solo. So the test about whether or not his brothers would be able to participate boils down to them having stolen this cup that Joseph already knows he's placed in one of their sacks. And so he tells his steward, go after them. And the steward does. And when the steward catches up, he he tells him exactly what Joseph told him to say. Exactly what he told him to say. How dare you steal my steward's cup, the one that he drinks out of and uses for divination. And they are incredulous. They are upset. They are angry. How dare they be accused? They brought back the silver from the first trip. If you remember, they went to get grain. They paid for it with their silver. As they're going back, they find the silver back in their sacks. When they came back the second time to Joseph, they brought that silver with them. And they were upset. They they thought Joseph was going to blame them, call them thieves. And they wanted to say, hey, look, we brought back the silver for whatever reason it was in our sacks. And Joseph calmed their nerves and said, don't worry about it. It was me that put it back there. But through their actions, they had thought of themselves proven that they weren't thieves, that they wouldn't steal, that they would go above and beyond to to do the right thing. And so here they are being accused of stealing this silver cup from their master, Joseph. And they don't really know that it's in their sacks And we see in Genesis 44, 9 that the brothers say, if any of your servants is found to have had it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. I'm going to read that one more time. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. What lesson can we learn from this? I think it teaches us to not make an offer that we're not ready to fulfill. Not make an offer to, that we're ready to fulfill. We've talked throughout this series about integrity. We've talked throughout this series about the importance of our words, about doing people that will, about being people that will do what we say we will do, right? And, and falling in line with the character of God. And this just kind of takes it one step further. Yes, it goes back to that discussion about integrity, but really it, it speaks more to the fact that we need to think about our words. You see, every time we talk, our words have power. I know this is an obvious statement, but they also have meaning. And when we speak, we, we release that power and we release that meaning out into the world. And so often we, we just as a reaction, respond to somebody with an offer that we're not ready to fulfill. We write a check that our butts can't cash, so to speak. That's an older saying. You know, Jimmy and I, we used to go fishing a lot, and he used to make all kinds of offers to me. Uh, Most often, they involved eating his hat. If you catch more fish than me, I'll eat my hat, right? Or if you blah, 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 I'll eat my hat. If you beat me at Marble Pursuit, I'll eat my hat, right? Shelly, you've heard it before, right? 
He's offered to eat his hat on a number of occasions. If that's real, I'll eat my hat. Well, I will tell you that usually it works in Jimmy's favor, but sometimes, sometimes it does not. Sometimes he comes to a situation where he must eat his hat. And while I realize it's a figure of speech, I've never once seen him chew on his hat. Not one time. Right? It's an offer that he made that he wasn't ready to fulfill, not one that I would expect him to fulfill either. We've all been there. We've all done this. Right? Somebody says, hey, I, I could use some help on such and such date. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to help you. And you don't check your calendar. You don't really put into any thought what you have going on that day later to find out that you've already triple booked yourself anyways and you really can't help. And now we come back to a situation where we look, frankly, like liars, like flakes, like people who aren't filled with integrity and won't keep to our words. And so the steward, he starts to go back and he starts to go through all their bags, oldest to youngest. It's really a, a brilliant uh, piece of suspense building because he knows who has the bag so he starts with the oldest brother and he opens up their bag no silver cup and he goes all the way down through the line so when it comes to the last brother right the brothers are thinking one of two things we told you that none of us stole the cup or oh no what if benjamin's the one that stole the cup right because you have to remember that benjamin is jacob's pride and joy Benjamin was not supposed to come on this trip. There was no way that Jacob was going to allow it. He wasn't going to risk using his pride and joy. He wasn't going to risk losing his favorite son. Not again. Not again. And so it comes to Benjamin and they open up his bag and there lying on top of the grain is the silver cup. And the brothers tear their clothes and they cry out in anguish. And the brothers are captured, they're arrested, however you want to look at it, and they're brought back before Joseph. And it's the moment that Joseph has been waiting for. The moment where he gets to find out if his brothers have changed. If he can trust them again. If he can love them again. If he can truly forgive them again. See, because... Throughout his whole entire process, we've seen him weep a number of times. His hopes are built up. The fact of the matter is he never stopped loving his brothers. But there is that broken trust. There is that doubt that they're going to be able to share in the blessing that's coming to him. And he wants to know, have the brothers learned anything from their previous battles? Battles can only be considered lost if we learn nothing from them. I want to say that again. Battles can only be considered lost if we learn nothing from them. Again, we can all think of times in our lives where things just weren't well. Maybe it was with a job, maybe it was with a relationship maybe with an injury or an illness, times where it was hard to have hope, times where maybe we even lost hope. And as we push through that battle, we push through that time in life and we look back on it. We can only consider those times in our lives losses if we've learned nothing from them. 
if we haven't garnered anything from them, if they haven't made us better, if they haven't made us stronger, if we don't become better people, if we don't become better decision makers, frankly, if we don't let the fire refine the metal of our lives, then we have suffered in vain. In 1 Peter 1, 6-7, we're offered this encouragement. It says, In all this greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, genuine, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, in life, you'll undoubtedly suffer. It's part of the human condition. But through God's grace, suffering partnered with perseverance of faith will benefit us more than it could ever possibly harm us. And that is a truth that we have to cling to in these times in our lives where we don't understand, where it feels unfair where we feel like we're being punished, or it seems like God has turned his back on us. You see, sin has created all the destruction that we face in this world. But it's God's graciousness. It's the amount of love that he has for us. That he has allowed our punishment to work for our good. Now, if we look in life, in any situation in life, when you're a parent and you have to punish your children or when you're punished by the court of law, those punishments, the goal of those in the end is to rehabilitate us, right? It's to correct that broken behavior. And we live in a world that, again, is fallen, is sinful. And so sometimes here on earth, Punishments are unjust. But God's punishment, the wages for our sin being death, it is just. That is what we deserve. And frankly, guys, if I'm being honest, we deserve suffering. It, it takes a really self-centered, self-serving person to look at life and think, I shouldn't have to deal with this. Not me. Because when we make those statements, we look around and we look at others and we say, I could see why they deserve it. I could see why they should be going through this, but I definitely shouldn't. No way, no how. But we do. And yet our God loves us so much and he does show us, at least in my case, a significant amount of grace. That these times in our lives can be used to make us better people. More empathetic, more loving, more godly, more Christ-like. We're being refined by the fire. But only as long as we're seeking to learn from our past mistakes. Only if we're seeking to get better from the things that have happened to us. That's when things go the way that they're supposed to. So here are the brothers. 
And Benjamin has just been found with a silver cup. And they're distraught. They tear their clothes. They're brought before Joseph. And they go through the story. Joseph, whatever they called him, sir, maybe. This is our youngest brother, Benjamin. He is the apple of our dad's eye. Our dad is an old man. And we believe that his life is connected to the life of our brother. And if you kill him, or if you enslave him, our father in his old age will surely die. And we don't want that to happen to our father. And we don't want this to happen to our brother. So it's Genesis 44, 16 through 17. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. See, right now in that statement, he's not talking about this situation alone. He's going all the way back to the time where they sold one of their brothers, Joseph, into slavery. Not knowing that the man that they're pleading with, that the man that they're talking to is that brother. We are now, my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph, here's the out he provides them. Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you will go back to your father in peace. Remember, I called this Joseph's magnum opus, his masterpiece. You see, as Joseph has been pulling these strings behind the scenes, he has set up a scenario that in his current situation can mimic his situation as closely as possible. The younger, favorited brother in danger of being lost. The potential devastation of the father and the brothers who had the chance to save both the favorite youngest child of their father and their father from harm. The last time they were in this situation, they chose to be selfish. The last time they were in this situation, it was self-preservation. It was how can we glorify us? And they are facing a lifetime of enslavement. And Joseph says, I'll just keep the youngest brother and the rest of you may go home. What's stopping them? Why not avoid the toil and the pain and the suffering that would come with their enslavement? Why not just go back to dad and say, we know we promised. We know we said he would bring him back. But he stole. And we can't do anything about the fact that he stole. So he was enslaved. We did our best to protect him, but he harmed himself. So we go to Genesis 44, 33, and 34. It says, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Then Joseph, 
could no longer control himself. And before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's house heard about it. Joseph, finally to the point, realizes that his brothers have indeed changed. They have indeed learned from their past. They will get to be a part of this blessing. But you see, they don't even really know the blessing that's to come. He just realizes that his family gets to be reunited. They get to mend that broken fence. That pain of being separated from your loved ones, of being separated from your bloodline, it's going to go away. And Joseph, just completely overcome, cries out in such a way and so loudly that he is heard outside the chamber. And his brother's first reaction is to be terrified. If you read on, they're terrified. They get scared. They don't know what to say. They're, they're speechless. In their minds, I'm sure they're thinking, uh-oh. Uh-oh, now it's really going to come. It's really going to happen. You see... It's our actions that show others that we have changed. When I was younger, and I know a lot of parents tell their children this, but when I was younger, um, my mom used to always tell me because, believe it or not, I got in trouble a lot as a kid. Uh, probably not as much as my older brother and sister, but I definitely probably should have. Just saying. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. And what do kids say when they get in trouble? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then five minutes later, they're going back to doing the same exact thing, right? And you're thinking homicide, and they're thinking, I'll just say sorry again. And then you have to teach them, you, you have to teach them the lesson that, that's going to carry them through in life that, hey, listen, I will know that you're sorry when your actions have changed. Sorry may work the first couple times, but after a while, sorry is not enough even if you're really, truly sorry. People are going to know that you've changed when your actions change. That's when they'll know you're different. That's when they know that your situation has really affected them. When you change the way that you behave. And his brothers were able to do that. And so... Once Joseph could be confident that these weren't the same men that he had known before, he revealed himself, and the family was able to mend. And Joseph, while his brothers were terrified, was able to explain to his brothers, listen, in this battle, in this time in our lives, you meant it for evil. I know that. You were angry with me. You wanted me gone. You meant for this to be the end of me. But God made it work out for my good. Throughout the, the whole time, Joseph kept his faith. He kept his integrity. He continued to pursue God and to personify God's character. But let's not get it twisted. There had to be times where Joseph felt lost and uncertain and scared and abandoned and betrayed He was enslaved. He was imprisoned. But through all that, 
He had to go through that entire process in order to be in the position that he was in currently as his brother stood before him. And because he was in that position, he was able to save numerous, and I mean numerous, lives. But had his brothers not made that decision in the first place, he never would have been there. And so again, we go back to the grace of God. And here they are, and and Joseph embraces his brothers, and he loves his brothers, and he sends them back on their way. And we look in 45, and I'm not going to read it, but again, I challenge you to go back to read it. But we go back to, to chapter 45, and Pharaoh finds out that Joseph's brothers were in town. And we're told that he was overjoyed. And so he told Joseph, tell your brothers to go get your father and to come back. And to just get back here as quickly as possible. They don't even need to worry about their possessions or their belongings because they will have the very best of what Egypt has to offer. They'll have land. They'll have livestock. They'll have goods. They will be provided for. And all of that came about, all of that came about because they were able to push through their battle, to learn from it, to stay faithful through it. And again, I tell you that on the backside of every battle, there's a blessing. It may take you years to see it, but on the backside of every battle, There is an absolute blessing. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Have integrity. Reflect the character of Joseph, who reflected the character of God. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, and I thank you again for this day just to have a day where we get to be in your presence, where we get to praise you and worship you and learn from your word. It means so much to me, and I pray, God, that it means as much to others. So often we look at Scripture of these grand stories that seem too good to be true and are unimaginable. We see God do the miraculous and we just think to ourselves, that doesn't happen in my life. But God, that's because so often we're not able to see your hands at work. We're not able to see the future that you're molding for us. And within these stories are truths that can affect us practically. And that's my favorite part about Scripture. Is at the end of the day, it teaches us about what it means and how to love one another. It holds us accountable for our character. And it provides a path. And it shows us the way to live life. 
even all these thousands of years later. It's still applicable. And that's because we have an all-knowing, all-powerful God who is gracious beyond what we could ever hope to deserve. God, in Joseph's story, we learn about perseverance. We learn about trials and tribulations and how to withstand. We learn about love and trust, truth. I pray that we can see beyond the colorful coat and the crazy dreams to let this truth impact and affect the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat others. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand with us now and let's worship, guys. If you need to come pray, I'll be right up here. You come pray with me, okay? Jake will be back underneath that TV screen and you can pray with him. I know some of the others, we usually have prayer out. But if you need to, to, to pray, come pray with one of us, please. If you want to come use our stage as an altar, come. Bow down. Pray to God. If you need to have a conversation with me about what it means to be a Christian, absolutely do that. I think it's one of the most important things that you could ever do in life. Otherwise, let's just stand and let's worship.